So when you hear these headlines from recent days, I want you to just think about what your initial response is. The first one, police announced the arrest of men accused of trafficking 15-year-old girls in a Toronto condo. Oh, we could add one from just on Saturday, two Calgary men arrested for child abuse and child pornography through their stores. Another headline, Thunder Bay police arrested and charged a 56-year-old Calgary woman as a result of an investigation into a suspected elder financial abuse. The accused allegedly stole about $100,000 over five months. Well, how about this more internationally? Kim Jong-un personally ordered over 300 executions in the first 10 years of his rule. So when you think about that and you process that and you think about the, the, the people who do these things, what, what are your first thoughts? And maybe your second or third thoughts? Uh, to be honest with you, for me, uh, my thoughts about these people are not a good thoughts. They're not good thoughts. I'm just like, yeah, I'm glad that you were caught and I'm glad that you're going to get what's coming to us. But uh, you know, as I meditated my way through this passage today, I was confronted with the reality that my thoughts towards this situation and my thoughts towards these people, these perpetrators, truly and honestly are not God's thoughts. They're not the Father's heart. Not the Father's heart at all. Because you see, I take a certain delight in, in the punishment that these people are going to face. I find delight in the justice that I think and hope is going to come about. I'm just glad that they have been caught and yeah, they're going to get it now. They're going to get what comes. But you know, that's not the Father's heart. It's not the heart of the God that we serve. You know, hidden sort of away down in the, in the bowels of the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 18, God says this, listen to this, this is kind of a staggering thing. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Am I a God that kind of likes that? I, I'm just glad to mete out punishment. I'm glad that they're going to get what they deserve. I'm going I'm to goodness justice and it's going to be swift and it's going to be drastic and they're going to be wiped out. Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? I think justice and vengeance, God's father heart is, how can I redeem? How can I bring back? How can I bring out of these people out of darkness and into life? You see, he's this God that has this heart, and because he's got this heart, he's a God who, who figures a way out to redeem us. Redeem just means to buy back. He gives a way out to get us back, no matter what evil that we perpetrate and put upon people. We have a father who plans. One of my favorite passages of scripture is 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 14. You know it's one of my favorites because I bring it up really quite often. And this is what it says. I just love this. Like water spilled on the ground which cannot be recovered. So we must die. Not so great a news. But look at this. But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways. I, I just love that. 
God, the creator of the universe, the king of all, the Lord of lords, the savior, he figures ways out. He thinks things up. He plans. He schemes. He engineers. He does whatever is necessary. He devises ways. He encourages ways. He, he invents them. He figures out, how can I get these people back? He devises ways so that the banished person, the person who's living outside of the light, the person who finds himself in the place of shadow and darkness, maybe through choice, sometimes through circumstances, he devises ways to move us from the place of the shadows. He thinks ways up to bring us back into the light. He comes up with a plan. I think punishment, as long as it's not me, I think punishment and justice God thinks redemption. Why does he do that? Why, why on earth does he do that? I mean, there's, there are, there's evil stuff out there. There are evil, wicked people out there. And in here. He does it because he's a father who loves. A father who loves and so, you know, coming out of this whole deal with, with Nicodemus and, and this whole message that we looked at last team, that it's good that you're good, but that's not good enough. Coming out of that, right on the heels of that, is how it is that we are made good enough, that we are made out of the darkness and into the light. The first little bit says, and we all know it very well, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the cosmos. That's actually the word that's used as the, the cosmos because you see, there's a few things that, 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 that John wants us to understand as he makes this statement. That God cares about the entire cosmos. He cares not just about us and our spirits and our souls and all those things. He cares about all that is physically around us. He cares about us and our bodies as well. You see, this is why as Christians, we worry and we think about and we talk about and we preach about resurrection. Not just the escape of the soul, you know, and what's important is your soul and your spirit and the body. You know, it's going to fail you and it's going to fail and you know what, it's not that great anyway. No, that is, that is Gnosticism. That is heresy. That is a, a philosophy that the church has been fighting against for 2,000 years. No, God so loved the cosmos. God so loved the physicality. God so loved your bodies as he created them. God so loved our entire being that he sent his son. And it's not just limited to human beings. For God so loved the cosmos. God so loved the environment. God so loved his creation. God so loved everything that his word brought into being way back on the days of creation through whatever process his word brought about. God so loved the cosmos. He loved all of creation. But it's not so much that God's love is to be admired because it's so... It's so big and includes so many people. God's love is so astonishing and so amazing and so almost unbelievable because the cosmos is so bad. Because all of us have within us some level of wickedness. And we just sort of have to be put into the right circumstances for that wickedness to come out. 
It's like D.A. Carson said, God's love must be admired not because it's so big and includes so many people, but because the world is so bad. And God's response when he hears news headlines like I just read is not squish them. God's response is, I love them. How can I redeem them? How can I bring them out of these dark, dark, dark shadows so far away from the light? How can I devise a way that everybody can come into the light? For God so loved the cosmos. You know, it's in the, the, the emphasis is not so much for God so loved the world. No, the emphasis is actually on for God so loved the world. God loved the world in this way. You do it so. That's actually the, the emphasis of the passage. Now, it doesn't mean in the structure of the grammar and so on, you know. Yeah, it means, you know, there's a great amount of love. But, but technically what the word means here is for God loved the world. God loved the cosmos in this particular way. In this way, God loved the cosmos. Because the Father devised a plan. He enacted a devised plan. He brought about some action. Let's read on verses 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his once and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world or to judge the world, is actually what it, what it says, but to save the world through him. The father sent the son to help, to make all creation right again. And he did this, as we know, as John is trying to point out, he did this by taking flesh upon himself and taking upon himself the consequences of our rebellion against our creator. He took upon himself the punishment that those people in those headlines have coming to them so that there will be some way in which justice is served and yet mercy is offered. And so this God took on flesh in the person of Jesus. And took all of our sin upon himself. It just amazes me. You know the apostle Paul said. That he became sin. He became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. What an amazing thing. This was God's plan. This was his action. This is what he devised. That all people. Regardless of our ability. Regardless of how weak or strong we inside. That all of us could come out of the darkness into the light. That we could come into the presence of the living God. Because you see that is God's desire. His desire is that we take advantage of the gift that God offers. And that we turn from our sin. And return to fellowship with God. That's the action. That's the action he undertook, that Jesus would allow us to do it. And then as we come into the new life of God, God's desire is not only that we receive this great blessing from God, not only that we are remade, but that we begin about the business of bringing about in the power of the Holy Spirit new creation. 
that we are here to care for the cosmos, the cosmos on the human level of building communities of mercy and justice and joy and meaningfulness and purpose, communities where everybody is valued and loved, and to bring about the answer to our prayers, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it in heaven because this is the kingdom of God and then to enter into once again becoming the caretakers of the creation that God designed us and purposed for us to be. That's God's desire to use us to first be redeemed ourselves and then to flow through us to bring about the redemption of all of creation as the spirit gives us strength. Now, here's the thing. That's God's desire. That's God's plan. And God's love is universal. But his salvation is particular. God's love is for the entire cosmos. Every single person, no matter who they are, what they've done, where they've been, what they haven't done, or whatever. His love is for all of creation as he breathed it into existence. His love is universal, but his salvation, his redemption, is particular. It's dependent upon our response. Our response. That's what John goes on to say in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people have loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You know, there's a sense in which we judge ourselves. I've often said to you, because I think it's just brilliant what C.S. Lewis said, is that, listen, while we are on earth, we have the opportunity and we have the ability to say to God, thy will be done. I will come out of darkness into life. I will believe in this plan that you devised. I will put my trust in this Jesus who took on flesh and bears all of my sin and all the consequences of my failures and shortcomings and evil and wickedness upon himself. Thy will be done, God. Or, we cannot do that. And on the day of judgment, hear the Father say, Thy will be done. You didn't want to be in the light. You didn't want to dwell in my fellowship. You didn't want to accept the gift of my son. Okay. Dwell in darkness. And the withdrawal of all that is God and all that is good. And so in a sense, we judge ourselves. And so... We're invited, every single one of us, to come into the light. We stand condemned. It's it's hard for us. It's difficult for us to admit. Because you're good people. And as we saw last week, it's good that you're good. But that's not good enough. Because we still blow it. We still sin. 
We are separated from God and we can choose to remain separated from him for all eternity. Or we can believe that God's love-driven response of sending the Son to die for us and eliminate the alienation that comes from that rebellion between God, others, creation, and even ourselves. That we can believe and come into the light that God has devised a plan that all of creation, all of the cosmos, all of us would be redeemed by believing in this plan that satisfies both mercy and justice. That those men who brought about those horrors on those 15-year-old girls in that condo That evil is not just overlooked. There is a consequence, but Jesus has taken that consequence upon himself. And there is a hope for those men. For redemption and renewal and forgiveness. My alienation from God, the shame that I carry, the wrongs that I've done can be healed in the person and the sacrifice of Jesus. And you don't have to live with the shame and I don't have to live with the same of the consequences of the evil that we have done all of our lives. You know, just this morning, if you, I do the one year Bible, I told you a thousand times. And, and this morning, you know, one of the, the Old Testament readers in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And there's this part in this, it, it's, it's toward the end of David's life. And he writes this, this psalm. And he says that this is after he has had Uriah murdered because he wanted to get it on with his wife and he didn't want to get caught and that whole thing. After that, after all that David has done. And in that psalm, you can read it, especially between verses 21 and 25. David says, I am blameless before you. You have saved me according to my righteousness. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me, man. Here is this loyal foot soldier of yours, one of your right-hand guys, one of your mighty men, who is such honor and and respect and dignity that he wouldn't go and enjoy his wife while his soldiers were in the field. He didn't want to dishonor. You had him killed. And you can say, you saved me according to my righteousness? I'm clean before you? I'm blameless? And once I got over my first shock and disbelief, I thought, man, if only all of us could believe that. Because most of us live with shame. And that shame drives us to all kinds of bad things. From isolation and running away and staying in darkness to addictions to justification to excuses to refusing to believe in it to hating ourselves. That's not God's plan. God has devised a way. God, in his love, sat down and thought... This is who Alan is. This is what Alan has done. This is what Alan has failed to do. This is the darkness of Alan's heart. But I've devised a way that by trusting in Jesus, I can stand in front of the living God and I can say, I am blameless before you. And you saved me because of my righteousness. 
Because you see, Jesus became sin that I could become the righteousness of God. It's all on him. It's all on him. And it's such incredibly good news. So why on earth would any of us choose to stay back here in the darkness and in the shadows and hidden from God and others? Why would we do that? Why do most people do that? And I was really kind of wrestling with this whole thing. How crazy is that? How foolish is that? Why would anybody stay in the darkness until I remembered the coffee beans? Because you see, I had this little wrestling myself just in this last week. Went down to save on foods. Got a couple, three things. Took out my $300, which it costs for three things now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then uh, checked it out, went home. Began to enter this stuff into my budget spreadsheet. And I realized, oh, they didn't charge me for my McAfee coffee beans. $29.98 on sale. And I thought, oh, I better go back there. And my second thought is, why would you go back there? <laughs> Their fault. I, I got to go all the way down there, you know, pay them and stuff. Yeah, it probably cost them $3. <laughs> cost me 20 bucks. I think I'll just keep those 20 bucks. Darkness. I did go back. <laughs> why, did I, why, why was I tempted to choose that darkness? Well, number one, just plain because I love darkness. Because I'm selfish. I figure I can keep this 20 bucks. And save this money. Not a big deal, they don't care. Nobody knows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the problem, of course, is a taste of darkness, a taste of selfishness, just leads into more darkness and more selfishness and more searing of the conscience and more deadness of the heart. And why, why would I want to stay in the darkness? I'll tell you why, because it's stinking embarrassing to admit that to you. To, to have my heart exposed to you that that's something that is so obviously, I mean, you don't even need Jesus to say you're not supposed to rip 20 bucks off the save on foods. <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And, and sometimes coming into the light and admitting that there's darkness within us it's embarrassing that we'd even consider doing some of the things that we do or that we fail to do some of the things that we can sense the Holy Spirit prompting us to do, but we say, it's embarrassing to come into the light. But you know what the greatest 
Third thing, you know what the greatest indication of loving darkness is? Is that even virtuous acts can be evil. They've known this a long time, because you go back to some of the translations way back into the, into the, uh, the third century, and the way in which they translate this passage is a way that means that the secret things of the heart are exposed. You see, when I took those coffee beans back, I sort of secretly expected them to give me a parade. Attention shoppers, we have an honest person in the store. His name is Alan Jones. The staff will now line up and... Darkness. Darkness. You see, the, the, the whole deal is that the coming into the light is that God, and this is what's tough for us, is that God doesn't just look at the outward action that Jones take his McAfee beans back and say, oh, yeah, well, I didn't take them back. I just went and said, hey, this bill, you didn't charge me. Here's my 20 bucks. Plus GST. Oh, oh, eat that. God looks at the heart. I says, Jones, you've got a long way to go, man. You've got a long way to go. But, but you can come a few days later and stand before me and sing my praises because you are blameless before me because of Jesus. And you don't have to be ashamed to admit the wrestling because of Jesus. And I've devised a plan when the darkness of your hearts is washed clean. In this passage, it gives this contrast between uh, loving the darkness and hating the light and to do the truth. Well, hating the light in this passage is, is hating Jesus, not wanting Jesus. Saying that, God, you know, your plan's not so good after all. I've kind of devised my own plan, and my own plan is, is my righteousness. Like, like these guys, my own plan is, is to, you know, to work really hard, to be a good person, to be righteous and to, to live out my religious system. And so we don't want this mess about how my heart is so dark, I need a work of the Holy Spirit to change it. I'm a pretty good guy. I'll just, you know, grip my teeth and take the coffee beans back on my own strength. And John says, you know, when you do that, that's hating the light. That's dismissing the plan of God and his love. But to live by the truth is to do the truth. That's just what it says. And it is to do the breakneck 
space, the speed of running towards Jesus and accept the reality that we are alienated from God and there is one hope and there is one answer and there is one way to do that. It's this plan devised by the Father, driven by his love to believe, to put our trust in Jesus who lived and died and rose and sits as our great high priest pleading our case and will one day return to bring about new creation in all of its glory. That's to do the light. That's to do the truth. That's to come out of the darkness. That's to live in freedom, forgiveness, righteousness, no shame, and purpose and meaning. And all we have to do is believe. So John's there. It's a court case. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because if you believe it and you've never come and bent your knee in front of Jesus and said, yeah, I, I need that righteousness. I understand that I stand condemned. I understand that, 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 that I need Christ every day of my life and I bend my knee to him. I come into the light. I want to do the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit by putting my trust in him. And if you haven't done that yet, then you need to do it. You need to do it today. And God himself, the creator of the universe, invites you to do that, to come out of the darkness and into the light, to leave behind your guilt and your shame and your sin and your rebellion and to come into the light. And if you believe it and you're a follower of Jesus and you're still living in this darkness, you are still living with shame and you are trying to hide it up and you are just embarrassed to come before God and you don't want everyone to know what's going on in your heart, then you need to listen to King David who says, yeah, I killed a man because I wanted his wife. But I can leave that shame and guilt behind because my Redeemer made a way to live in freedom and in joy. And if you believe it, we need to be about the business of inviting other people into the light. Because we live out the heart of the Father in the face of sin and not the heart of Alan Jones. the heart of a God who devises ways, who dreams up ways to bring the banished close to himself. Almighty God, man, it's so easy for me to read this verse. <laughs> We've heard it so many times and, and skip over it. But it's amazing and it continues to be amazing. And in spite of my temptation to step back into the darkness over stupid stuff, I can hear it again and be drawn into the light by your love. And when I understand this passage, I can, I can leave my shame behind. Because you became my sin so that I could become the righteousness of God. And I can.
can be about the business of inviting others into the light and about the business of caring for all of the cosmos, people and creatures and earth, and live with the purpose of pointing towards you in everything that I am and everything that I do. Lord, I bet you, I bet you almost everybody here believes. We just sang, I believe, I believe. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We pray through Christ. Amen.